My name is Bonnie Landry. I'd like to welcome you to my podcast with my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, where we explore the questions about homeschooling and family life and how we can make joy normal. Hi, Christina. Good afternoon. Hi, Bonnie. How are you? I'm well. How are you? It's been kind of a tough afternoon. All things considered. So here's a question for you. What book, what is the best book you're reading right now? What's the most efficacious book you're reading right now, if you have time to read? <laughs> that includes audiobooks, of course. Yes, mostly audiobooks, but the best book I'm reading right this second is To Know Christ Jesus by Frank Sheed, um, oh. which is just like this really, it's an old book. Yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, I know so many people who say it's, you know, the best book they've read about Jesus or the best book they've read about the gospels. Mm. And I'm definitely understanding why it's, it's just a really detailed discussion or reflection on Jesus and his life. I do feel like I am getting to know him more deeply. And I say this as someone who's been teaching or studying theology for most of my adult life. There's just so much context and so much um that you can't just know by being a 21st century person there's so many things that are unspoken Mm -hmm. in the gospels because the people that were reading them or who would have originally read them would know these things you know they wouldn't they would know the difference between the sadducees Mm -hmm. and the pharisees and they would know the difference between you know they would understand yeah so many of those things but on a more a lighter note i recently Mm -hmm. finished two really fantastic fiction. Um, one was a place to hang the moon, which is a, they're both world war two historical fiction. They both take place in England and the place to hang the moon was about three orphans who have been raised by their wealthy grandmother. Grandmother dies right before the blitz and right before the kids are all being shuttled out of London to the country. The story of these three kids. And there's just, it is such a sweet book. I absolutely loved it. I would recommend it to anybody, any age, I mean, seven and up probably. It's so, so good. I mean, it's a middle grade novel. It's definitely a children's book in that sense, but it's so delightful. Just really, really fun. That was nice to read. It was nice to read books that were written actually for a younger audience when I was, you know, my brain was a bit fried from having small children, that it was, it was just a great way to go because it's kind of light reading, but still a really great uh, topic, right? Really great topic. It's a great, like, just, you don't have to focus too hard. It was really just Mm. gripping, entertaining, you know, thoughtful. It was just a beautifully done book. The other one I would not rave about quite as much, but it still was very fun to read. It's called The Last Bookshop in London. Okay, I've actually seen this one. Okay. By Madeline Martin, I think is the name of the author. And it was just, it was a lot of fun to read. I mean, it's still, it was very harrowing at points because she goes into a lot of detail about the Blitz and a lot of things I didn't know about how consistent the bombing was and how people dealt with it. I mean, is it one you could read to kids or more adult oriented? No. And it's adult book. I mean, it's nothing inappropriate, you know, in terms of like sexuality or anything like that. There's a love story, but it's very much behind. It's very like peripheral and innocent because it's the 1940s. It's about a, a, a young woman who moves right. to London right before the war starts to kind of make a new life and ends up becoming like a very 
big part of the London sort of the effort to bolster people's morale in London. And she's, it's just a really, it's a really great story. And it, I learned a lot about world war two that I didn't know, which is always interesting to me. So I recommend it. If you like, if you like historical, I think it would be appropriate for a teenager. So Lydia could handle it for sure. You know, it's interesting. That would make a great episode actually is talking about books. There's a lot of children's historical fiction set in World War II. I know you know way more about that than I do because I'm still at the like Yeah. Books. That would be kind of a fun thing to just explore. Like what are the what are all the books? What are sort of what age range would they be appropriate for? How could you flesh it out to make it a sort of a study of World War II or whatever or the World Wars because there's several Oh, I can totally see using A Place to Hang the Moon. Yeah, okay. As just it could be a whole you could do so many things you could talk about gardening because there's all the whole thing about victory gardens right. so you could talk about like different how different countries responded to world war ii you could talk about the blitz you could talk about rationing you can talk about so many things there are so many ways that you could yeah. take that and make it a whole unit if you wanted to yeah exactly yeah that would be let's let's uh put that sort of tuck that away okay. for a future episode because that sounds that would be fun that would be really yeah fun. yeah so while i'm reading right now i am reading um a novel by michael o'brien it is called the sabbatical that's really interesting i'm going to part way through it, so i'm not sure yeah it's a new i'm i'm not really sure where he's going with it so i'll, I'll comment on it once i'm finished it i'll tell you <laughs> but also um abandonment to divine oh that's a good one is, Really beautiful, and it's kind of my Lenten read, and just sort of taking it's a good Lenten read, but it's very, very beautiful. Yeah, have uh-huh. you read it? More than once. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I read it, but I've only read Father Elijah and um, Strangers and Sojourners. Michael mm. O'Brien. I think I like Strangers and Sojourners the best, actually. Yeah, very Canadian. Yeah, though. I I'm sure them. if you're from Canada, it probably means even more to you because you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's all placed in are, but I thought it was a very powerful story yeah. when I read it. It was a long time. Uh, I don't have. I've never read a book of his that hasn't just really blown me away. The one I just finished recently, maybe a month or two ago, I finished A Cry of Stone, which is one of his old. I was rereading all of his books. And, I haven't read that one yet. Oh, oh my gosh, you would love it. it it's just a, a hard book to read. It's very, very sad, but mm. so redemptive and so beautiful. And yeah. Highly recommended it, but it took me, it was one I started several years ago and just couldn't get into. And mm. then I picked it up this time and it was like, Oh wow, this is, but I cried so many times at the end of the story. Wow. It my eyes out. I cried pretty easily. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you have some questions. Well, it's more of a general question about siblings and sibling dynamics because I, you know, I'm in a stage, a season of life where I have a four, almost four and a half year old and almost two year old who are in very different stages of development and have a hard time communicating with each other. Obviously, the two year old can barely talk and the four and a half year old is, you know, just still making peace with the fact that this other child is here and taking his space up and knocking his stuff over and taking his toys away and blah, blah, blah. And my prayer has always been that they would have, that they would be really good friends eventually. And that, you know, they would grow to love each other. And, you know, my siblings and I fought horribly 
growing up and we were, you know, much closer now than we ever were as kids. So I know that you don't necessarily have to have like a super tight, peaceful relationship as a kid to grow up to have a good relationship. But I would love for my kids to have like positive, some you know, <laughs> have a happy relationship with each other now and not be fighting, not be at each other's throats all the time. I think there's part of this, what I'm going through right now is just developmental and it's going to pass. And eventually my boys will, I'm through steady teaching and consistent teaching of them to helping them negotiate, helping them problem solve, helping them communicate their needs to each other, helping them repair when damage has been done. Like all of that is in my plan. I just want to know from your perspective as someone who's raised seven kids and Mm -hmm. who's seen sibling relationships develop over time, you know, what was helpful for your kids and what wasn't. And I, I mean, the one thing that I try to be very, very careful about um, because it was hurtful for me and I know my other siblings, I think also were affected by it was the comparison comparing siblings to each other, even labeling kids like, Oh, well, he's our quiet one. And he's our extroverted one, or he's our, you know, he's going to be an engineer and he's going to be an athlete. Like those kinds of things I think can be really damaging to kids because it's, you know, limiting their identity. It's, it's something has something to do with this other person. You know, I feel kind of at a loss because there's so little that I had modeled for me in terms of that cultivation other than like be nice to your sister stop fighting you know that kind of stuff which isn't super helpful uh so yeah I would love love to hear what you think sure well just sort of a a big picture um comment that I think that I mean you know we had nine people in our house when we were, were a house full and we had uh, you know, but even if you don't have that many people, if you had three kids or four kids and you know, your household of four or household of six or, or whatever, I think that it's probably an unrealistic expectation. And I, you know, fairly young, I, I realized that it was probably unrealistic that all of my kids were going to get along, not even get along, be close to each other, right? Different personalities. And it was likely right? That, that some siblings are going to be closer than others. And sometimes siblings, because, you know, like my daughters all had babies at the same time. So that brings you close, right? That that draws you to each other. And, you know, that's, that's lovely to see. But at the same time, knowing that, you know, one sibling or another is going to be less close. I mean, it could also be that two siblings who went into the same profession, say, could end up becoming close Mm -hmm. because they have this common bond. Uh, so I think I think there's that, and I think that we have to just you know be okay with that. Like if we, it would just be unrealistic for me to expect my adult children to all be as close to each other as some. And so you know you sort of see right, yeah, totally. people be close to each other, and and I'm and I'm just grateful for that. But they all you know they all love each other. I think that when when we're looking at little kids, though, the sort of you know minutiae of of uh, of relationships, one of the things that surprised me. So there's four and a half years. My oldest is four and a half years older than her next youngest sibling, right? Because I um, was a single mom and I married Albert when she was three and a half. I sort of kind of assumed that there, she might not really play with her younger siblings so much because, 
because she was that much older than that. You don't really know. You sort of assume that the closer siblings are going to play together, but that hasn't really played out to be true at all. The two of my closest, my second and third daughters, they were, when they were young, they sort of parallel played a lot. They didn't fight really, but they, they parallel played and they didn't really connect with each other, which I I thought was kind of strange until one day. And I don't remember exactly how old they were, but like maybe three and four and five and six, they're only a couple of years apart. Hmm. But suddenly there was this common denominator of crafts, right? And they realized they liked crafts. So then they would do crafts together and then their relationship sort of built out from there. Hmm. And so they started doing other things together. So, you know, when I was sort of thinking, gee, I thought they would play more together because they're so close in age. It wasn't until the crafts happened and they had this common bond that they started playing together. And so, that became something that I used if kids were, you know, arguing, not getting along, having a rough day or whatever, I would pull them into something that I knew they both liked. And that was, uh, you know, or, you know, they all liked or whatever. So say, for example, let's go for a walk outside and find worms in the dirt. Let's go, uh, let's play Play-Doh. Let's whatever, you know, let's say, do you guys want to pop into a bath? It's kind of turning the, the squabbling or the fighting or, or whatever into something that we're doing together. That's enjoyable. But it, the, I think the big part of that, the big piece of that puzzle is that I was there with them. Right. And so you're providing the um, kind of a leveling uh, factor and also the you know, they're just less likely to, to scrap with each other right, yeah. if there's an adult present, right? So you're sort of, you know, being the, the uh, calming force, you know, in an ideal situation. Of course, sometimes I wasn't the calming force. <laughs> We've all had that moment. <laughs> but when you can be the common force and you can, instead of, instead of getting into that whole, like, you know, well, who did what, who did what first and who did, you know, and, and what, what's going on I'm there? Trying to kind of get into what the problem is. Cause the problem is often nothing to do with what it appears to be, you know, that we're fighting over the same toy. The problem is that one of them's tired or one of them's hungry or somebody smacked each other, you know, they smack each other earlier and there's still these hurt feelings or whatever. We don't always know. And it's not even that important that we know, but if we can kind of redirect into something, some sort of positive play, the more often we can do that, the more they, I think it enables them to be able to do it as well, right? This isn't working. What else can we do? Box is a product that was created by dads who were looking to mitigate screen time for their own children. They developed the Tony Box, which is a screen-free listening device. It comes with baby-proof characters that hold content and sit on top of the Tony Box. They have songs and stories. Tony Box is always adding new content, new characters that have different songs and stories on them. There is a, a creative component as well. So you can get a blank Tony that you can tape your own songs or stories or content onto. It's completely toddler and preschool friendly, practically indestructible. My own grandchildren have it. I would encourage parents who, particularly if you're struggling with screen issues with your kids, to check out what Tony Box has to offer. And they've got an excellent website, which will tell you a lot more about the Tony Box and what it can do for your family, the content they have available for your kids listening. I appreciate Tony Box supporting this podcast. Yeah, and I I think that's really important and it goes against the what I hear a lot which is oh well you just got to let them work it out for themselves. 
Right. And I'm thinking, yeah. hmm, how are pre-rational children going yeah. to work it out for themselves if they don't have someone else? I mean, they can't. They literally cannot work it out for themselves except mm. for by aggressing, like except for by hurting each other. Yeah. So they really need an adult to help them. Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I heard this a lot from my kids as, as they became teens, you know, and from other people as well. You know, teenagers, we just have to work it out. If they're scrapping about something, we just have to work it out. But the, the problem with that is like adults do as well. As if we're tired, if we're angry, if we're provoked, if we're whatever, we revert to our preschool selves. Yes. And so we're not true. in a position. And so sometimes we're not rational. Not yeah. Right. Sometimes with older kids too, you have to be say, you know what? It's time to step back. And you know, it's I found it much harder to keep my wits about me with older kids. You kind of get wrapped up and you think they know better, you know, that, that right. yes. you know, we kind of get into that mindset. But the reality is that when I'm feeling like that, when I'm provoked, I don't know better either because I revert, you know, I revert yeah. to my your brain is literally offline, like your mm-hmm. rational brain exactly. is not functioning. Yeah. The way I described it is their brain is kind of laying on the floor beside them and, and <laughs> ours is too sometimes. So, so now is not the teachable moment. That's a really good image. It's a very, very helpful (laughs) visual. (laughs) And so sometimes we have to say, okay, you know what? Just breathe, right? We can come back to this. We don't have to solve this problem right now. But right now this isn't working, right? So whatever's going on, can can we just breathe for a few minutes or an hour or tomorrow and you know, step back and, and bring this back to a place where we can discuss it. I can talk to you each privately when you're feeling calm or whatever, but you know, right now this isn't going to work and we can't expect it, even though they're, they're have reached the age of reason. That doesn't mean they have, they, we all have moments where we are not in the age of reason. Yeah. And I think teenagers do need a little bit more, um, I guess, (laughs) A little bit more mercy, grace, because their brains are developing just as much as a toddler's brain. Mm -hmm. That's the other period in life when your brain is developing at the fastest rate. And so they do kind of act like toddlers and and preschoolers a lot of the time because their brain is just going berserk with hormones and, you know, neural connections and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so they're really... Like extra difficult to to be rational in those mm-hmm. moments. In those moments, and you know it's interesting because um, uh, I mean, little kids. I've said this before. You've heard me say this before. Little kids really prepare you for teenagers in a sense, right? Because because of that irrationality and all of that. And the very toughest thing, like my, the worst, when I look at my own self and at the worst moments of my parenting, was if I got caught in the uh, in the anger or conflict between two older kids or, or whatever. Those are like the, you know, some of the worst moments in my parenting were the moments where I, I couldn't step back myself. Mm. And of course that just makes everything just go so badly. And it's funny because my, my son is here visiting right now. And he, he said, was there anything we are talking about homeschooling? He was kind of comparing like, you know, advantages to homeschooling and, and being in school and whatnot. And he said, is there any sort of regrets that you have? And of course, the big regrets you have are when you just completely lost your cool. That's the worst. And came unglued. But in terms of just the day-to-day stuff, one of the things that that, uh, really I realized later on 
with my younger two boys was that cooking them a big breakfast. And like, I always kept breakfast really simple, like cereal toast, uh, maybe oatmeal or, or whatever, but it wasn't a big protein cooked breakfast. And I realized that that was something that, that definitely mm-hmm. my boys benefited from later on because we had some very, very tough mornings, you know, as, as teenagers, you know, they were kind of waking up, kind of cranky. And I let them sleep. I let them sleep because I had read, you know, let teenagers sleep, right? And I mean, not till noon or whatever, but if they needed to sleep till 8.30 or 9, I wasn't going to start the day at the crack of dawn because I felt like it was important for them to sleep. And so, you know, we'd putter about and do whatever yeah, we yeah. did and as people were waking up and then we would have breakfast together. But if I had realized how motivating that was for teenage boys and probably my girls as well to make a big cooked kind of protein breakfast... There was something about that, like they felt loved, they were fed, the proteins and the fats are so good for their hormones. And so I think that we need to be, as mothers, we need to be really sensitive to what is it our kids need and am I, mm-hmm. are their needs being met to the best of my ability so that I'm mitigating all those emotions, right? So are they eating well? Are they sleeping well? Are they getting lots of fresh air? Are they getting the exercise they need? You know, are we uh, making sure they have opportunity to to vent their frustrations or whatever? All those things so that, you know, emotions aren't exploited. They're going to anyway. They're going to anyway. But we can mitigate a lot of that. Yeah, I've I've noticed that um, my oldest will have be much more sensitive or testy with his brother if he hasn't had like some good one-on-one time with me that day, Mm -hmm. or if he, if I just haven't, if I've been running around the house doing stuff all day and I haven't really sat with him and watched him play or Mm -hmm. sat and read to him for a while, it's those are the days. Those are the moments when he gets the most frustrated Yeah, because there's an unmet need. He doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to express it. Mm -hmm. It gets taken out on the easiest target. So, you know, he can tolerate, actually quite a bit of little brother activity if he's in a good place. Yeah. If his tank is full, if it's not, mm. but I mean, aren't we all like that? Like some people, I think my oldest is definitely more of a reactive temperament. Um, And so there are some kids who they're not going to react like that. You know, even if their tank isn't full, they're not going to necessarily blow up you know, in the same way or as frequently. But when you have a more reactive temperament, like I do, you're just, that's going to happen more often when you're not having your needs Mm -hmm. met. I mean, in a sense, it's a gift because it doesn't get buried and it doesn't get covered up. It's all coming out (laughs) and there's no, and then I, Mm -hmm. that's my sign like, Oh, okay. Something's not right here. I have not, been doing my due diligence and his needs today. It's just a really good opportunity to take take a step back. But I think, yeah, I think there's so many times when it's just like, he's hungry, he's tired, he's overstimulated. And so, yeah, being observant, being um, aware, you know, of of those kinds of things is just really helpful. And I mean, there's lots to do in a day, but that sort of has to be our our thing that we make a priority is just kind of being aware. I heard this great term. This episode will have already come out by the time this one airs. So I interviewed Bert, but sleep, sleep consultant. Yeah, that's a good word. And she was lovely and very much in an attachment framework. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, go have a listen. But she uses these. What's her name? Her name is Heather Boyd. 
And she was lovely. She's Canadian. She was so lovely to speak to. So yeah, definitely um, for listeners who are listening to this, if you haven't heard that one yet, go back and listen. But she talks about children who are orchid children and dandelion children. Have you heard those terms? Oh, yeah. Had had not heard those terms. So kids who will kind of thrive anywhere and kids who need a lot more observance, you know, managing of the environment. thought, wow, those are great terms because they're both beautiful, (laughs) you know, and we have to just kind of respect what that is. And, you know, as soon as she said those terms, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I would identify absolutely some of my kids required more sensitivity to the environment. Uh, It doesn't mean they don't, all of them, sometimes I would say those dandelion children, they go through phases where there's sometimes, you know, the kids, but what great terms that we just have to be a little more delicate, a little more sensitive. They're very neutral. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So both are beautiful. Yeah. I think I have an orchid and a dandelion. They don't always get each other and they never will totally understand each other. (laughs) They're going to bless each other because of that. They're going to help each other grow and they're going to challenge each other as they grow. Neufeld describes, Gordon Neufeld describes siblings as planets orbiting the same star. So the when he talks about peer attachment, he doesn't talk he doesn't talk about siblings as peers because they should be ideally orbiting the same stars, which is the parents. And so but if they're if the star is not in the center, if if that's out of balance, then the kids are just gonna be thrown for a loop and they're not gonna know how to handle it. Right. My own emotional regulation, my own peace making sure that I'm in a good place as much as I can throughout the day. That's really what's going to help my sibling, my, my kid's sibling dynamics the most. Mm -hmm. That's I'm really thankful. I've been doing, um, going through the interior kingdom program that we, when we interviewed Johanna a while back, it has been such a gift to me as a mother. Like I, I feel like I just wish my parents had had something like this when I was a little girl Oh my gosh, it would have been a totally different experience of my emotions. And, and I am so thankful that this exists. I'm so thankful to Johanna for creating it because it's helped me. I haven't even started going through the program, like all the different lessons and things like that with my kids yet. It's, I've just been watching her videos and reading the materials for myself and doing some of their adult reflections and I think the genius of this of her program is that it really is for the parents and the kids mm. where she goes through the the five um, keys to emotional regulation. I feel like that lesson, just listening to her for you know thirty minutes was mm-hmm. more helpful to me in terms of my own emotional regulation day to day than any therapy I've ever done. I mean, I'm so thankful for all the therapy I've done. And I'm sure it makes me more receptive to these things now, but no therapist ever gave me the the five tools that she lays out in such a clear way. And it was never connected directly to the faith either. So that has been huge for me in helping myself I am so much more able to be present to my mm-hmm. boys when I'm feeling that interior peace, that inner calm. If you've been wondering about maybe getting into your kingdom, mm-hmm. I can, I can tell you, like, I feel like it's reparenting me in a way. Like it's, 
I feel like I'm getting what I didn't learn from my parents because they weren't capable of teaching it because they never received that. You know, they had no idea. So they were just doing the best what they could with what they had and what they had, unfortunately was not great, but this is like this incredible gift that I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, even if I never taught my kids any of the lessons, they would still benefit it because it's helping me. I just wanted to share that because it's been, I think it's really helped me too to put into perspective my son's squabbles with each other. It's also helped me to remember Mm -hmm. that, like this is such a yeah, it's such a short time that they're going to be this little, and one day I'm going to wake up and they're yeah. going to be playing outside by themselves for like an hour without any problems. <laughs> and I'm not even going to have to be there. I'm going to just think, how did that happen? But I know it's so mm-hmm. much blood, sweat, and tears now that's getting going to get them to the place where they can do that in a couple of years, you know, and so much of it is just teaching them how to love each other because it's not always intuitive. <laughs> and again, our, our sort of bigness of heart and generosity of spirit with our children, I think plays out well for them and how they, how they interact with others as well. That, you know, in an ideal world that they, they pick up on that bigness of heart and that's just so important you know, and they, and they don't always right away. Like, I don't think, I think it's one of those things, again, depending on where they're at in their life, but that we, we see it as they get older and see them be generous with, you know, their own children or their siblings be quick to apologize and things like that. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see when you see things go right. Yes. Yes. The Lord has given me in the couple last few weeks, just these little glimpses of harmony between the boys and moments where they're just so cute together and they're having so much fun. And it's this kind of fun that they can only have together that it's just not the kind of fun you can have with mommy, (laughs) maybe daddy, but not mommy. And they make each other laugh. And they like last night, spontaneously, they were just hugging each other. We were having our prayer time. It was so cute. And it was just making my heart swell. And it really, I was like, the Lord was just giving me a little pat on the back. You're, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and we need to treasure those. Like when we, we really need to treasure those things, you know, or even when your kids say something to you, that's just so sweet and so kind and, and so thoughtful. We need to read to kind of treasure those up because when they're, uh, frustrated and they say, I hate you, or they, you know, whatever, you know, whatever hurtful thing happens or to each other, you need to remember that, that they're just having a moment. Yes. But that doesn't define the relationship, but it's good things that define the relationship. And yeah, that's, I think that's so, I have a note in my phone where I write down cute and sweet things that Joseph says, and he comes up with some really hilarious things but also just like melt my heart sweet things and it just makes me I feel like the Lord is so generous to me to give me not only a husband who loves me and who affirms me and and you know like he is definitely my um the source that I go to besides the Lord obviously for uh for my own emotional like co-regulation but it's just like this cherry on top that your children 
show you the face of God too. It's like, this is such a gift. It's so super abundant. It's so much more than what we deserve. It's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. Children bring us to our highest highs and our lowest lows. I bet I kept a little notebook of all, you know, the cute things that the kids said. It's really a good idea because sometimes we just need to go back and reflect on those. I mean, sometimes they're just really funny too, but uh, even things like when they're older and they're, you know, teenage boys who are, you know, notoriously yeah. difficult to get along with. And then they say something super sweet to you. And just, it's just, we, we just have to remember those in our, in the tough moments. There was a, a priest years ago who said, everybody deserves to be judged in their best moments. And I thought, yeah, that's, it's so true. It's harder to do it with ourselves than it is with our kids. You know, like that's something that we were much harder on ourselves. And so I, I have I reflect on that on myself too, is that sometimes oh, you yeah. think about oh, yeah. the way you were, you know, in the past or with a certain person or whatever. And you think, Oh, I just messed up so badly, but I've gained traction. So. <laughs> Slow and steady conversion to all the way to heaven. That's my goal. Yeah. So is that helpful? Does that feel like That's very helpful? Is it? Okay. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, diversion is such a great tool for us as parents, especially when our kids are small. Just how about we do something different? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was yes. something that if we ever had people over, I would use that same tactic. Like, say we had a family over. Right, the kids didn't know each other very well or hadn't seen each other for a long time. I would always put something on the table, like a puzzle or a Play-Doh or like a sand tray or a rice tray or whatever and hide things in it just to get them sort of operating together, you know, sort of doing something together, you know, or playing tag or, you know, they say one of the, one of the best things you've probably read this before, but one of the, the sort of the most cooperative yeah. little games that you can play with kids is actually catch. Because oh, when we yeah, play catch, yeah, we we want to throw the ball in a way that makes it easy for them to catch, and they catch it and throw it back to us. And there's this cooperation. We're not trying to make them miss the ball. We're trying to get them to catch the right. ball. So we're encouraging. We're teaching. And catch is just always kids. Kids love to play catch. I know it's so funny. Yeah, and something you can do with you know jungling balls or bean bags or whatever in the house. That's a nice activity if you can't go outside. Yeah, and it's amazing to see. And then doing it with each other too. They're also they recognize that they don't they don't want the other person to miss they want the other person to catch it so they have to throw it in such a way mm-hmm. that aids that skill right and, and they want right. to throw it. Yeah, yeah so throwing it back and forth yeah interesting thing eh? and that's so that's actually a really cool diversion like bean bags or something I, i've been doing it with juggling balls with my yeah. grandkids you know just getting them to we're so oh, that's very fun. yeah <laughs> my boys love yes. that love they're not quite at the age where they can play it together yeah yet, but yeah look at there Believe it or not. <laughs> Someday. Oh, I got this. I'm going to say this. Uh, I'll keep this anonymous because I, I don't know if this person listens to my podcast, but I got this text from somebody the other day and they had come across some notes. They have four kids now, but at the time they had, I think, a, a toddler and a baby. And they had this big list of questions that they came were coming over to visit. And they brought this big list of questions to help them with their baby. And she said, I just, I wanted to send you this. I came across this in my notebook and just wanted to send you this. And, you know, now we, with four kids and this many, you know, five, five years later, and we're just feeling so much more confident and steady and all of that. But it, those questions look silly now, but they're not, you know, they're great questions. And that's where we start. You have to, you have to ask yeah. them so you can learn the answers. I mean, you have to, you have to go through your first kid. Mm-hmm. get to the place when your second kid is born you're like oh, oh. I actually kind of know what I'm doing to yeah. a certain degree you know yeah. and then by the time number three comes around you've at least you know what it's like to have 
two different kids in the home yeah. and interacting with each other and your confidence grows. <laughs> but Heather, the sleep counselor, she said in her episode that, that, uh, you know, the most important thing we can do in terms of learning about, uh, about what a child needs and about what we need to do for sleep is to address the child right in front of you. You know, we mm -hmm. forget that, that it's about a, our expectations of sleep and we have to just completely revisit our expectations of sleep because just like we're getting to know a child's personality, we're also getting to know their kind of their sleep personality. But that really applies to everything you know, yeah, totally. what, what does this child in front of me need in terms of learning math, in terms of their sleep, in terms of the, what they, how they eat, you know, what do they need to flourish? And so sometimes that it's just such a dance, yeah. right? So siblings totally. too, it's just such a dance. One of the things, this is just a sort of really practical little note before we wrap up, but yeah. one of the things is my kids were fighting over a thing, an object, I would just put it away and it wasn't a punishment. It was just yeah, that's just too hard to work with right now. So we'll just put that yeah. away. That was just the way we operated. Because often it, it's not ever about the object. So there's no point in making the object a punishment or a reward or a consequence or whatever. It's just, it's just the, it's the icon no. for whatever else is going on in their little, you know, <laughs> their little psyches. Right? <laughs> yes, it represents much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we just make no not a deal of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if my kids were fighting too, I would say, I'd like you guys to, to sit on the couch together. I'm going to sit with you, but let's just sit on the couch and try and maybe if it's been a day of scrapping, you know what I mean? Like it, like it just seems to be going on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Like, so let's just sit on the couch. Let's just sit on the couch and see if we can figure this out because you know, whatever's going on with you two, it's just not working and, and no lane blame, no, whatever, just, it's just not working. Yeah. So how can we make this work? Cause this isn't working. <laughs> solving exactly <laughs> very very important no kidding uh so should we wrap it up there yeah i think that's thank a good you. thank you so much buddy, yes, as always. thank you so god bless and have a great day you too okay bye